Well, you sound like some old Pentecostals out there. They let me do a duet with it last night, and notice this morning they didn't let me do it again. I don't know why. But did you know that's not just a funny song? That's a song birthed in the Bible, in the book of Thessalonians. Paul telling the Thessalonians that one day there's going to be a trumpet sound. One day the voice of the archangel will sound. And listen, he says, the dead in Christ will rise. In other words, people that have died will come back to life. They're going to go meet the Lord in the air. And then it says, we who are still alive, we will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord. So we shall be forever with him. And we're supposed to take comfort in those words. So literally, that's the Christian rapture. We're looking forward to a day, come on, where we're going to go be with Jesus forever. Give him a big hand. He is worthy of our praise. Well, turn your Bible this morning to Genesis chapter 18. Genesis 18. I started a series last week called God Is. God Is, and each week we will fill in the blank. Last week we talked about God is merciful. And as I suggested last week, I believe the mercy of God is the most dominant characteristic He has. The mercy of God, the loving kindness of God, uh, God's eagerness to forgive us, uh, God's long-suffering, God's compassion, uh, it is God's mercy. Now, the definition of mercy literally means to show kindness instead of justice. Rather than giving us what we deserve, He gives mercy. He forgives us instead of judging us. Now, you may recall our text last week was Luke 15. And there was a phrase, that, uh, an observation rather, that was made about Jesus in Luke 15 too. It says, this man, Jesus, welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, a sinner is simply a spiritual lawbreaker. It includes all of us. Whether your sins are out front and people see it and uh, uproar surrounds it, or whether it's a very private thing. I mean, no, sin's a sin and we're all sinners. And this whole passage explained what it meant about Jesus welcoming and loving these sinners. And what we learned is we learned about the mercy of God from the parable. Remember the two parables, the parable of the lost sheep. Ninety-nine are, are, are with the shepherd, but one is lost, so he goes and finds it. That's what Jesus does. He goes looking for us. We also learned about the parable of the prodigal son, the lost son. You remember how he stole from dad, embarrassed his father, went off to a far country, wasted everything, came back home, and he wanted to be treated as a slave, but, but the father said, bring the best robe, put it on him. My son was lost and is found, which simply tells me sin has consequences. God doesn't want us to do it. But yet when we turn our hearts back to God, His door of mercy is open to us. And uh, that's, what, that's what we're looking for, our Heavenly Father. Well, today we're going to look at the other side of the coin. How many know uh, that when you have a coin, if, for example, if they flip it at an athletic game and say, you know, heads is the kickoff and tails receives, it takes a heads and a tails to make a, a legitimate piece of currency. And I'm going to suggest you look at God this way, that there's heads is the mercy of God, but tails is the justice of God. And this morning's message I've entitled, God is a just judge. So just as we see that God is merciful, God is also a judge that is just in His judgment for our sin. Let me show you a little funny video to kind of kick this off here. It's about speeders in the state of Minnesota. And uh, then we'll be in Genesis 18. Are you watching how fast you're going? I didn't know I was speeding. I was going down a hill. Speeding? I didn't see the sign. I don't think so. But nobody else is on the road. My foot fell asleep. I gotta pick up my kids at daycare. Is it because I'm driving a red car? I didn't see you. My wife's going into labor, sir. I, 
I didn't know. I was looking at a different gauge. I'm not really from around here. Something must be wrong with the speedometer. Trust us, we've heard it all. Now hear this. Extra speed enforcement is on Minnesota roads. There's no excuse for speeding. But I always go this fast. There you go, officer, blinking those little eyes. I always go this fast. And he probably said, and I always give people a ticket, honey. Here, God bless you. Well, that's a picture of something we're all familiar with. If you're breaking the laws, civil laws in terms of speed, there's going to be a policeman there to enforce it, to bring justice, to bring the boundary. And how many know if it goes to the next step, they'll, if they don't pay it in the mail, they'll go before the judge, and the judge will say guilty. They'll either pay the fine or they could go to jail. And that's what I want to look at uh, is about justice when it comes to being judged when we break the laws, specifically when we break God's laws. Now, Genesis chapter 18, uh, it's an interesting passage. The passage is about Abraham. You remember Abraham and his nephew Lot, they were, uh, they were so prosperous and things were going so well for them that they had to separate and divide. And Lot chose what's called the cities on the plain. It was Sodom, it was Gomorrah, other cities that were there. And that's where he lived, and Abraham lived in the, in the mountains. And lo and behold, uh, God was displeased by the behavior of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he is making some inquiry. And this conversation is between he and Abraham. And the Lord said to Abraham, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and their sin is so grievous. Now, their sin is so grievous means that God's heart was angered, broken, saddened, troubled at what he was seeing going on. That sin got his attention. Now, mind you, this specifically, this passage is talking about the sin of sexual immorality that characterized the people that lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. Specifically, their sin was the embrace of, or the practice of homosexuality. Big question in America today. If you're interested in this, wanting to know what the Bible has to say, this is a great passage to read to see God's view on what's being called normal in our world today. But in this particular passage, uh, God is quite concerned about their sin. But how many know sexual immorality is a broad subject? How many know adultery, fornication, looking at pornography? Didn't Jesus say that if you have lust in your heart, it's the same as the act of adultery? So any sexual expression outside of God's plan, which is a man and a woman in a monogamous relationship for life, anything outside of that is sexual sin. And no matter what other people would say about it, that's a clear teaching in the Scripture. And let me say this. Listen, anyone struggling with any immoral issue are welcome in this church. But my hope and my prayer is that you, like hundreds of people here, will begin to conform our lives more closely to the Bible and turn from things that God calls wrong and embrace what He calls right. Well, anyway, uh, it's uh, uh, their conversation, verse 23. Abraham approached God and asked this question. Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? His question was, are you just? Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there's 50 righteous people in the city? Verse 25, far be it from you, God, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and wicked alike. And then the scripture says, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Will you say that with me? Will not the God, the God judge of all the earth do right? So the sense here is that a judge, and a judge by definition, is one who holds people accountable for what they do. He'll either reward them if they have done the right thing, or he'll punish them if he's done the wrong. So the judge has authority, and he will either punish or reward. But this word just means the fair distribution of justice 
based on laws, truths, and facts. That is, giving everyone what they deserve. And in this passage, Abraham made very clear to us, uh, as, you, as you read further, that God does not treat the righteous and wicked alike. And let me say this quickly. What makes a person righteous today is not their actions. How many know you cannot do enough good works to be considered righteous? Doesn't your Bible say you're saved by grace through faith? It's a gift of God, not by works, lest anyone should boast. So the Christian belief regarding righteousness is, when I have turned from my sin and turned to the Christ of the cross and confessed my sins before God, asked His forgiveness, and then endeavored to live righteously before Him, and every time I get off track, I ask forgiveness and I try to live for Him. And the Bible says that, that response to God, God puts His righteousness on you. It's as if... Uh, I was, uh, someone came to me and put a blanket on my shoulders and it's the righteousness of God in Christ that makes a person righteous. Now, after having been declared righteous because of faith, then God expects us to do righteous acts. So our good works follow the righteousness that Christ has, has brought to us. But God does not ignore what it means to be wicked or to do evil things. And uh, this is a real strong message this morning, but I want to give you the other side of the coin. Because some believe today in America that the grace of God, the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the love of God, that both sides of the coin are heads. And it pretty much doesn't matter what I do because, you know, God is somewhere between Santa Claus and Marshmallow Man. He's not like that, nor is He a God that just can't wait to smack somebody who messes up. God is a God who wants to give mercy as people turn their hearts to Him. But if people reject the mercy of God, then they will bring God's judgment in their life, and God will do that as a righteous judge. Now, as I said, it's a strong message this morning, but I, I, I biblically have a responsibility to tell you the whole truth, to the whole counsel of God. It's my hope to warn you in some fashion that you might turn your hearts to Christ, that you might repent from things that are doing that would bring God's judgment in your life. Have you ever been riding down the road, down the highway, and a car that's coming at you starts blinking their lights? Uh, if there's a, a policeman here, please put your fingers in your ears right now, wherever they are. I don't want you to hear this. This is the, what citizens often do. They're blinking their lights going down the road, warning fellow travelers to slow down because there's a highway patrolman right around the corner. And, and, and what that does, you take your foot off the gas. Well, that's a warning to save you from a ticket. Well, would you hear my words today as a Christian pastor who believes the Bible is the Word of God as we just go and explore what the Bible has to say about judgment? I think uh, it will help you today. Uh, the Bible is filled with judgment for sin. If you just think broadly a moment, how about uh, why did they leave the Garden of Eden? Why were they kicked out? Because they sinned against God. Uh, how about um, uh, the flood, Noah's flood? What was wrong with the people of the earth? They were wicked, the Bible says. Violence filled the earth. God judged them. Sodom and Gomorrah we talked about. Which, by the way, Sodom and Gomorrah, you could go on the Internet. And there was an archaeologist named Wyatt, I think is his last name. But, but he has found places where they believe Sodom and Gomorrah was, where there were large deposits of sulfur and other materials that would suggest and describe the fire and brimstone that fell from heaven and consumed those, uh, those cities. So pretty interesting analysis he does there. But anyway, uh, Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament, you remember them when the church is born? Uh, they were receiving money to help the poor. Uh, they told a lie, and both of them died in the presence of the Lord right there. 
How about Joshua's friend Achan? You remember? God told them, don't touch anything from this city. It was a dedicated city to God. He took it. He hid the silver under his tent. And it literally cost them defeat the next go-round. And he lost his life. That was judgment. How about King Herod in the New Testament? Uh, they w- tried to worship him as a god. He received their worship. And God said, bang. Instantly, he fell down and died. And the Bible says he was eaten with worms. Uh, Israel's rebellion warned for 800 years from Moses forwards, but finally sent into captivity for 70 years. So you can see throughout the pages of the Scripture, old and new alike, that there is judgment for sin. And as we look at this term judgment, there's lots of judgments. First of all, there is an eternal judgment. There's the great white throne where the Bible, as I'll read to you today, says that all of us will one day stand before God on judgment day. Uh, There are judgments in this life where God would discipline us. When we get off track, when we do things that we shouldn't do, God is like a loving father, and we get a spiritual spanking. And what I, my experience is, most people that God spanks, usually it's in their finances and money. That's an attention getter. But God can discipline us to get our attention. So, so judgment can happen in this life as a discipline, uh, but it's to, judgment in this life is always to pull us back to God. We'll read about that. Judgment in this life never is intended to push us away from God or to hurt us, but it's to help us just as a parent, loving parent, helps their child. Then there is an eternal judgment that is a punishment for sin for those that reject God's, uh, God's um, mercy. Let me just read some scriptures now. And I will, in this message, I'm going to read a lot more scriptures than I normally do. My, script, my messages are always filled with Bible verses, but today a lot more because I want you to see this is not just the ranting of some preacher on an isolated verse or two, but this is a theme of the scripture that for those who reject the mercy of God will one day experience the justice of God. Look at Acts chapter 17. This is uh, Paul. Paul is in Athens, and he's just passed through uh, the Greek culture. He's passed through their uh, idols and their temples dedicated to false gods. And notice what he said. He said, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now, he commands all people everywhere to, to repent, which means to turn away from your sin. Look at verse 31. And why don't you say this with me? For he, God, has set a day when he will judge the world with justice. Psalm 711 says this, God is a righteous judge. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. Now what does that mean? Indignation. That means God feels anger. He's troubled. He, something rises up within him. And what rises up within him is when people reject his ways. Uh, I can guarantee you God is indignant now. This past year in America, there have been 1,600 cases of documented uh, assault against religious freedom in America. I guarantee it makes God indignant when a school teacher will tell a child that a child cannot draw a picture of Jesus on the cross in their classroom. It makes God indignant. It makes God indignant, come on, when there's racism in our nation today. It makes God indignant when people try to stir up hostility. And there's people that do that in America. They try to pit us against each other because of our gender, the color of our skin, how much money we have. I think that makes God indignant. Because how many know it's the peacemakers that God is looking for? It's the one that brings people together, not pushes people apart. But lots of things makes God, makes God indignant, but he holds off his judgment many times in his patience. Acts 10, 42. And God ordered us to preach everywhere and testify that Jesus is the one, say it with me, appointed by God to be the judge of all. 
And as we'll see, one of our messages on God is, is we will see that Jesus is God, and we will see the different roles that he has in society. But uh, Jesus was not only the baby in the manger. The Bible says that Jesus was the creator of the world. He's the sustainer. He holds it together, Colossians 1.17. But in this case, one day Jesus will judge the world. Uh, he goes on to say, Romans 14.10 for all the bad people will stand before the judgment seat of God. No. Yeah, when I misquote the Bible, it's to get your attention, and that is exactly what you say. No. Scripture says, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Now listen, there's a difference, though, in the way it's going to happen. For the believer, as I interpret the Scripture, Jesus is called our advocate. And I don't know how it's going to work, but I'll read a passage about the great white throne judgment. When my name is called, John Henry Miller IV... Uh, it's not going to be to the game show, come on down. But somehow we will stand before God. Remember, as we'll see, books were open. And when my life is being given an account of, Jesus will come and literally stand before me and say, I have covered this one. This is a believer. This is one with faith. This is one whom I died for. And his sins have been imputed to me. I have given him my right. He's given me his sins. I've given him my righteousness. So I can stand before God in the righteousness of God in Christ. So there is a judgment that will be different from the wicked. The wicked, as the Bible says, and wicked as defined as not only those who sin, but those who reject God's mercy. Those who follow the philosophies of this life, there is no God. God, everybody's going to heaven. There's many roads up the mountain. They will be standing by themselves, and it'll be a horrible day. Now, uh, let's keep reading. Hebrews 9, 27 uh, just as it appointed for man to die once, and after that comes reincarnation. I better make this bigger. No. That's what the world says. You get another chance. Or how about this one? You become one with the cosmos. You become one with all living things. Not what the Bible says. The Bible says we live one life, and after that the judgment. And now is the day of salvation. You can't wait. Until you stand before God and say, oops, I made a mistake. No, now is the day to stand for God. Uh, Acts 10, 42, he ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus... Oh, I'm sorry, I've read that one already. Look at uh, Hebrews 10, 26. And this is a strong one. If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a fearful expectation of judgment. Verse 30, for we know him who said, vengeance is mine, that's God, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge people who don't go to church. No, it says the Lord will judge his people. The Lord will judge his people. And verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You know, virtually every time someone sees an angel or has, uh, there's an appearance of Christ, a Christophany, a Theophany, virtually every time there is some appearance of a heavenly being, people fall on their faces. It's exactly the response. Depart from me, they say, I'm a wicked man because God is so pure and holy. Uh, listen to this, young people. Ecclesiastes 11. Young people, it's wonderful to be young. All the old people said, amen. Enjoy every minute of it. Do everything you want to do. Take it all in. But remember... You must give an account to God for everything you do. You must give an account for God for everything you do. The NIV says, for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. It is the world, my friends, that says, have it your way. And that's not just Burger King. 
It is the world that tells you, you do what you want to do. Forget what your parents have taught you. Forget Sunday school. You go into college and professors will, will with boldness, tell you they're going to they're gonna convert you from being a Christian to being an atheist. They'll boldly tell you there is no God. You better be careful who you listen to. Revelation 20, verse 11, the great white throne judgment. This is the day where God will judge for eternity. Scripture says, I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Verse 12, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were open. Now the great and small simply means every person that's ever lived on planet earth. Every person will be there on that day. And it won't matter with, if you were the president or if you were the person that cleaned the offices. It will not matter, listen, the color of your skin. It will not matter how much money you had. The only thing that will be matter, are you going to bear the justice of your sins or will Jesus bear them for you? Books were open. The scripture tells us whether these are literal books, whether God's got a big computer, who knows what it is. But it's a picture of the fact that God records what I do, good and bad. The scripture says God knows the thoughts that I think. The scripture says every idle word I speak, I'll give an account for it. Well, these books are open. The dead were judged what was by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Look at verse 15. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, the book of life, that's an important place to be. You say, how do I get in that book, Pastor? By believing in Christ, by turning from your old life, by following Jesus, by becoming his follower. That's the ticket, my friend. As I shared with you last week, I'll say it again. Karl Marx, the founder of communism, in his writings, he said, Judgment Day is nothing but a dream. Judgment Day is nothing but a dream. He went on to say that uh, judgment is nothing but a dream. But according to the Bible today... He's in a place called Hades. Hades is not hell. Hades is the holding place of the dead. It is the place where those that are apart from Christ are awaiting to go for final judgment. The philosopher Pascal, he was a mathematician and philosopher. Remember Blaise Pascal? He said this. It's called Pascal's Wager. He said, and I'll summarize, for a person to risk the fact that there is no God, they are risking their eternal soul. And it is the greatest wager that could be made in life that God is not real and that God can be ignored at great peril. It is a wager that uh, I am not willing to make, my friends. I have chosen to believe the words of the Bible. Now, let me give you a couple lessons and observations from, from this, uh, this, the, the, these passages. First big question is, why does God judge people? In other words, why would a good God judge people? Why would a loving God? See, we want, we want God to be marshmallow man. We want it to be heads any way we turn it. But why would a good God judge people? I'll tell you very simply, because God is holy. That's right. Psalm 99, verse 9, the Lord our God is holy. Peter says these words, God is holy, so be ye holy. You know, you do, so what, in the word, what does holy mean? In its most simplest definition, it means to be set apart from sin. To be holy means to be removed from sin. It is to be perfect, to be pure. God cannot and God will not live with sin. Right. He cannot and He will not. God is a holy God. And if we want relationship with Him, our sin must be dealt with. You see, I can approach God as a loving Father, having done wrong through the blood of Jesus Christ, because my approach to sin is not to ignore it or embrace it or justify it. My approach to sin is to confess it and repent from it and ask forgiveness. Yeah. And it's a vast difference. Let me give you an illustration about, about God, and, uh, God and sin. I'll pick on my wife. She's not here. She was here last night, though. 
Uh, my wife and I have been married 31 years. Linnell's as sweet as she can be. Uh, <laughs> what would she be doing? Let's imagine. Linnell likes to read. So let's say I go home one day, and she's sitting on the couch, and she's reading one of her little novels on her iPad, and I brought in this good-looking woman with me. And she looked up. She said, oh, hi. Who are you? And me, being the good person that I am, said, oh, honey, this is Mary. Okay. Yeah. Well, Mary's going to live with us. I was watching this TV show. It's about a polyamorous marriage, which simply means collections of people all getting married. Honey, I thought I'd try it out. I think she'd shut her iPad. But if I was able to calm her down and say, well, try this. When it came time to go to bed, we're tired at night. And I said, oh, I'm tired. I think I'm going to go to bed. Come on, Mary. And my wife doesn't like guns, but she's got this collection of knives. I would imagine that the Texarkana Gazette would feature a justified pastor's wife, come on, with her foot on her lame husband. Is it just possible that God might have the same hatred of sin and might refuse to live, come on, with sin as a mixed marriage might do to the spouse? Is it just possible that something is evoked in God when unrighteous acts are done? This is what we're talking about. God judges people because He is holy and they have not gone His way to deal with sin. Uh, sin is serious, the second point. Sin is serious. Romans 6.23, it says the wages or the payment or the outcome of sin is what? It's death. It's death on this earth, but is an eternal. See, death means separation. Separation of life from the body or separation from God for eternity. The wages of sin is death. But aren't you glad the scripture says the free gift of God is eternal life? So see, the choice is ours. The scripture t clearly teaches us God doesn't want anyone to perish. He's not anxious to judge anyone. But if people reject his mercy, they'll must deal with his wrath. Um, I lost my power uh, during the storm. Anybody lose your power? I'll tell you what. I, uh, 28 hours, and it was so bad we had to crank up the generator. And we got the generator trying to figure it out. Hadn't cranked it in several years. Um, there was this cigarette, picture of a cigarette, and it had a circle around it, and it had a, a line through it. And you know what that meant? Hey, stupid, don't put matches around gas. It'll blow up. They're trying to warn you because if you're flicking matches over an ga open gas can, I mean, no sooner or later that thing is going to go kapow. Well, that is exactly what happens because sin is serious. Now, let me say this, number three. God's Word tells us what sin is. Now, this is a big one because you won't hear sin being used in America. You won't hear it on the news. You won't hear it on TV shows unless it's from a deranged preacher, you know, standing on the street doing something crazy. They don't want prayer. They don't want to do anything with God. Uh, but you watch. If Ebola spreads, come on. If Ebola spreads throughout cities and places, it's quite possible America could get shut down one day to protect us. Is it just possible that that day they would say, call for prayers? It's almost like the secular folks don't want anything to do with God until there's a crisis that they can't handle. Well, I got news for it. Every person on this planet is one heartbeat away from a crisis that you can't handle. Call on Him today. Uh, but but I... Uh, I can't trust my culture to tell me right from wrong. I can trust the Bible. I cannot trust my feelings to tell me what's right. I cannot trust civil laws at times. I mean, our Supreme Court said the pornographer's okay. 
They, 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 gave, they gave freedom of speech to pornography. And what pornography did, people grasped onto it. And then the perversion took them deeper. And then when they developed a lust for children underage, before you know it, you see it almost every day on our newspaper when someone has sexually sinned against a child. It opens a door, and I cannot always follow laws. How about TV and songs? If you watch TV and listen to modern music, you won't have a clue what right and wrong is. In my worldly days, there used to be this song that went something like this. If loving you is wrong. How did you know that? I couldn't think of the last. If, I don't, if loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. Think about that just a minute. You're married, and I'm married, but I love you. You're married, and I'm married, and we won't tell. You're married, and I'm married, and God wants us to be happy. And if loving you is wrong, I sure don't want to be right. I'm telling you, God's Word will tell you. Eternal judgment, listen, hell is real and it's forever. You don't hear this much. Matthew 25, 46, Jesus had a, talked about judgment. And these on his right, uh, left hand will go into, say it, eternal. eternal punishment. Punishment that lasts forever. But the righteous into eternal life. There's a reward for right living. Hell is real. It is described in the Bible as a fiery furnace. It is described as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is a place of torment. And as I said, the holding place of the dead, Hades, is a real place of torment. Remember the, the, the Bible, when Jesus recounted, this was not a parable, but when he talked about Lazarus, not the Lazarus raised from the dead, but the poor Lazarus who begged to eat the crumbs from the rich man's table. They both died. And where was Lazarus? Lazarus was in what was called Abraham's bosom. He was in paradise. There was a great gulf that separated them. And here is this rich guy over here who ignored the cry of the poor, who lived the life of luxury and never turned his heart to God. And he was in torment. He begged if Lazarus couldn't just dip the tip of his finger and put a t a, a, just a drop of water on his tongue. That's Hades. That's not eternal judgment. But the Scripture said there's a great gulf that separates us. In other words, your actions on this earth will affect you for all eternity. It's real, friends. And let me say this one, this last one. Just because I haven't been judged yet doesn't mean I won't be. 2 Peter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, but instead He is patient with you. Say it with me. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. All right. Judgment Day will be a terrible day for some, but you know what? It'll be an exciting day for, for Christians living for Jesus. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due. Here's the justice for what he has done, whether it's good or evil. Now, this is called, scholars call this the Bema judgment seat of Christ, different from the white throne judgment. It is this judgment that our works will be judged. You remember Paul talked about in Corinthians that our works will be, will be tried by fire. And if it's wood, hay, and stubble, it'll be burned up, but we'll still be saved. In other words, God will look at not only what I did, the attitudes of my heart, and God, uh, I could still go to heaven but not have any reward. But my friends, if you are living for Jesus, hear me now, money that you give to advance God's kingdom, prayers that you pray, helping someone that's in trouble or that's in need, uh, going on missions trips, uh, answering the call to missions, teaching Sunday school classes, using your gift of worship on the stage, uh, going to jails, helping people. All these things are good works, and God is recording these in books, and one day He's going to reward us. 
One day he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. You've been faithful with a little. Come on, now you're going to be entrusted with much. So it's going to be a good day for some. Uh, sin will be judged, but listen, our works will be rewarded. So here's a question as we head home. How should we respond to a God who is both merciful and just? How do I deal with a two-sided coin? I'll give you a couple things here. John 5, 24, Jesus said this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has what? Eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Now listen, Bible believing, having faith in what Jesus did, is what opens the door for salvation. But faith, listen, believing God is not like uh, adding biblical information to your mind. Uh, for example, if, if, if the policeman stood at the back of the building, blew his whistle real loud and says, Get out of the building. The building is on fire. Well, you wouldn't just sit there playing on your iPhone. Your first thought's for your kids, which, by the way, we ought to plan to get the kids out. But, but, but you would find the exit door. You'd go here. You'd go there. You'd go out the one of the corner maybe because you believed him. And belief forces you to act. If I truly believe in Christ and I'm living a worldly sinful life, which I was for several years of my life, I'm not proud of it. The worst memories, listen to me, young people, the worst memories that I have in my life happened when I was 17, 18, and 19. Things that make me most ashamed and feel condemned in my life. But if you keep living that way, I would suggest, well, Jesus said, by your fruit you'll know them. I'll suggest to you that if you're not living God's way, you may not be a Christian. Because if you're not bearing fruit, in life, that's the evidence. True biblical fruit, true belief causes you to turn and follow. And it's the following Jesus that's the evidence. Listen, the biblical idea of atonement, that Christ died for our sins in the place of man. That's what the cross was about. Jesus died. It's based on the spiritual law that God holds us accountable for our sin. There must be judgment, but in the atonement, Jesus Christ willingly placed himself under God's judgment in my place. That's what makes Christianity unique from any other religion on the earth. We're not trying to earn our way into heaven. We look to the God, what he did, and by his mercy receive his forgiveness and then turn and follow him. Come on, give him a good hand today. Let me give you another one about how responding to a God who is merciful and just. Ecclesiastes 12, again written by Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, he tried to find happiness through possessions and through relationships and money and things, but he didn't do it. And when he finished the book about his journey into the backsliding world, he said the end of the matter has all been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. The whole duty of man. And this fear of God, I'll explain. I want you to remember that. For look at verse 14. For God will bring God will only bring the bad things I've done into judgment. No, every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether it's good or evil. Now listen, we respond to God's mercy with loving Him back. We respond to His holiness with fear and obedience. Let me say it again. We respond to His holiness with fear and obedience. You see, fearing God is like fearing the policeman. Now, I don't know about you. Um, I, I don't make it a habit of speeding. But I do have a practice. Every time I see a policeman's car, you know what I do? Yeah, I take my foot off that gas pedal just a little bit. 
Every time. Why do you think we have a policeman that stands in the lobby as you come in and exit church? And why do we have cameras upstairs with the kids and all around here? To cause people to fear, come on, breaking the law. To cause people to fear doing the wrong thing. If some crazy person came in here and wanted to shoot somebody, the law, come on, would protect us. But see, the fear of God is the same way. Let's imagine if I'm some deranged person and they're going to come in and, and, and get even with Jason over here. They saw his truck in the parking lot and they're mad at Jason for something that happened. And uh, he put in a swimming pool and it leaked and whatever happened. Of course, you know, the, 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 the guy's baby was throwing all his barbells in the pool. And, you know, they just thought that Jason should have taken care of it. But now they're mad. They've had a, couple, had a case of beer throughout last night. And they woke up and they saw his car. They followed him in here. And they're going to come take care of him around the front row of church. No fear of God. But when he sees the policeman standing in that lobby, he's going to have second thought because there's a fear of legitimate authority. And can I tell you, I need it in my life and you need it in yours. Let me, let me close with this. Uh, John, Jonah chapter 3, nobody has to be judged. Let me say it. Nobody has to be judged. It's not God's plan. Jonah chapter 3, you remember the story of Jonah and the whale and the whole bit and God called him to go and be a prophet to this nation that was living in terrible sin and it was somewhere between 120,000 and 600,000 people in this city. So on the day Jonah entered the city of Nineveh, he shouted to the crowds of people. He was a prophet. He said, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. Eight words, he declared judgment for their sin. But look at verse 5, how they responded. The people of Nineveh believed God's message. And because they believed, they changed their behavior. They declared a fast. They put on burlap to show their sorrow. And verse 7, the king said, send this decree throughout the city that verse 8, everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. For who can tell? Perhaps yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw how they put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and he did not carry out the destruction he threatened. So why did they get a mercy response rather than the judgment they were due? It's because they repented, because they believed God and turned their heart back to him. And I'll tell you, my friend, God doesn't want anyone to perish.